0: It's Sunday, May 9th, and you are listening to Peanuts and Popcorn. PNP is a spontaneous podcast between two old friends on baseball and motion pictures. I'm Tom
1: Hockney. And I'm Leo Fontana. This week on Peanuts and Popcorn, the great Willie Mays turns 90 this week. John Means and Wade Miley pitch no hitters in the same week, while Yankees fans get a chance to express some of their anger. The world champion Los Angeles Dodgers are struggling mightily. While King Albert is designated for assignment, we'll talk about a wild week for the Cubs and the Sox. And our popcorn discussion is on Peter Bogdanovich's "The Last Picture Show." Happy Mother's Day, Tom. Happy Mother's Day to you, man. Yeah, I know. I know your mom is no longer with us, and I want to pay my respects to her. Well, I, I you know, I do. There, I use Facebook. For my memorial, every Mother's Day, I
0: usually try to find a photograph of her and uh, wish all the mothers out there. That's how I pay homage to my mother who passed away in 2004. But it was—it's a big day for mothers out there, and I think it is. You know, it, this is more than just a hallmark holiday. This is yep. this is a this is
1: serious. You 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 need to pay respect to your wives, to the mothers of your children, to your That's own right. mother, whoever you are. To your
0: pet mother, your fur baby mothers, uh, everybody, all the mothers out there. All the including mothers Including will... the late, great Frank Zappa.
1: Exactly. Uh, exactly, the mothers of invention, exactly. So, but uh, but also, you know, this was uh, teacher appreciation week. And as oh. I am a teacher, I, 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 I'd like to talk about some of the things that, uh, some of the demonstrations of appreciation that I endured. We had a uh, we had lunch paid for us every week every day this week. Somebody brought it in. Uh, sometimes we we only one time did we actually have to listen to a presentation on uh, insurance. So uh, was know, it PowerPoint? Yeah, it was a PowerPoint thing and they served lunch. they served did the, did the guy just read off the PowerPoint? or no, he... no, it was just a nice smiling <laughs> young woman who, talk to the teachers as they came in. And the teachers are all so hilarious. They're like, we know we have to sit here yeah, and exactly. listen to this. And we're not going to buy your
0: product. But we're not anyway. going to
1: buy your product. Thanks. See you later. I got to go. I got a class. This. Thanks
0: for the donuts.
1: But, but the other nice thing is uh, Christine Santos Diaz, who's the woman who's sort of at our school who coordinates uh, projects like this, you know, she really kind of went above and beyond. And she went so far as to bring in a comfort dog, you know, and wow. brought it into the auditorium. and We all got to pet her. So that was kind of nice. Well, is there a lot of PTSD going on at school? I don't, I don't, I don't know. I know. Well, I mean, they're just saying, you know, they're being sensitive to our needs. Uh, Got it. Got but it's it. like, it's like if you have a job that needs a teacher appreciate or needs an appreciation week, then you probably don't earn enough. Right. I mean, and 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 for you, Tom, when is relationship manager appreciation week?
0: Oh, that's the third week in October every year, Leo. Well, there is no such thing. You know what they say? You know, if the business is good and growing, you get to stay. It's just that simple.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, that's how, well, listen, just thank you for all you do for keeping the economy going.
0: Yeah. And thanks for everything that you and the teachers do, which in all seriousness is very important.
1: Well, enough small talk. To me, the greatest all-around player, I say all-around player that I have seen, is Willie Mays. Now it's time to open the bag of peanuts. Tom, did you did you pick up any peanuts? Do you, do you buy the peanuts before you get to the ballpark, or do you get them when you get to the ballpark? When you go well, to anybody leave. that
0: lives in this town, and I'm thinking in most towns, uh, if they're smart, they'll yeah. buy it at their local grocery store. Um uh, like the jewel or whatever, because if you buy them at the ballpark, I mean, you'll go broke quickly. It's yeah. kind of a cheat, man. I try to do I'll, regardless of how much money I have or don't have. I always try to buy peanuts smart uh, yeah. and from wholesale, not retail.
1: <laughs> and generally, you know, if you're going to Wrigley field, which is kind of uh, our home park uh, you're better off eating before you get to the ballpark yes. and yeah.
0: drinking as well. And
1: drinking and drinking. But uh, the first item uh, that we need to talk about is that the great Willie Mays turned 90 this week, and he was honored. I think uh, the Mets honored him. I think the Giants honored him. Um, But he is, you know, because of COVID, he's not quarantined, but he can't, you know, he can't really get out and make appearances. And, you know, when we think about the last year and all the great Hall of Fame players who died, I mean, it seemed like we were lamenting the loss of another One hundred war, you know, war uh, player. I mean, every week it was really getting. It was it was getting tragic. So, so one of the reasons to talk about
0: Mays is that he's still alive. It's something that I wish we would have maybe done more of with Henry Aaron, even though we did cover off on him. I feel as though you know, with Willie, it's time to celebrate his substantial life. I just thought it was hilarious that when. When you ask Willie what is the proudest achievement of your career, and he says, "I came into the league with a 32-inch waist and I retired with a 32-inch waist."
1: Well, that is amazing. <laughs> that, that, that was, trust me. Nowadays, yeah. that's
0: flip on two fronts. That is the same, but at that, it was a 32-inch waist. <laughs>
1: that's hilarious. That's hilarious. And and that was from uh, an article in the New York Times. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. That's
0: correct. That's so, uh, that. That was from the author. Um, and 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 the thing is, is that Mazes' life basically spans everything that happened um, to the African Americans in in regards yeah, to their yeah. respect to baseball, right?
1: Um, well, he's and, seen it all. I mean, from I mean, he sees Jackie Robinson break in, and then yep. he's, I is he the second African American player in the National League? He's either the second or the third. Like uh, I think that, he breaks man. in in forty eight. Yeah, with the, the Giants. And, and then the Giants start bringing in guys like Monty Irvin and uh, no, no, he breaks in in 51, no, no, 51, because his rookie season is the year that they win the pennant. You know, that's the favorite. No, no.
0: I meant like he was with the black Barons in 48. Yeah. I'm sorry. So he, uh, was or, yeah, right. he was a
1: Negro leaguer. That's right. He was a Negro leaguer. And then he sees Jackie Robinson break in. And then he's one of the first African-Americans who <laughs> play, and, and he has a tremendous, I mean, he's just unbelievable career. When you look at his wins above replacement for his career, it is but astonishing. Many that saw him play,
0: including the greats, Mickey Mantle, yeah. thought that he was the greatest player that, that ever lived, that, that ever played the game. And a lot of older guys that did see Ruth and Gehrig and some of the earlier stars of the t- uh, 20th century also said that basically he was, a, he was one of the very first five-tool players. He didn't have a weakness in his game.
1: No, he didn't. And and he 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 was incredibly athletic. He was gifted to such a degree, you know. And uh, you
0: know what? What when it's funny because when you when people would ask Mays about that iconic catch that he made uh, against the Cleveland Indians, um, I think it was in '54. um, He'll always say, "Yeah, but did you see my throw right after that?" Exactly. Exactly. He goes, "That throw was fantastic."
1: Well, and, and I think it was, it's in the baseball documentary by Ken Burns, where they talk about that catch. And uh, I think Buck O'Neill was there. He was a coach. Oh, really? Yeah. He was there. And, and he, I, I, I don't recall if it was exactly him who told the story, but he says Mays comes in off the field and, and he says, I didn't think yet. I didn't think you were going to get that one. And, and Mays was like, I had it all the way. Cause when he would <laughs> go like this, when he would pound his glove, when he was running, you knew he would catch the ball, right. but he was just a devastating hitter. You know, there's that famous line. His first home run in the majors comes after his opening, you know, from his first at bat, he went 0 for 21. Then yeah. he finally hits a home run off of Warren Spahn. Nice. And then Warren Spahn had the tremendous line. He said, Gentlemen, for the first 60 feet, that was one hell of a pitch. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know and, and Mason hit one of the longest home runs ever hit, you know, with the polo grounds on that pitch.
0: I I, I think the greatest um uh uh, tribute that I can pay play to Mays, um, or pay to Mays, I should say, is that um, I really think, when I look, think of some of the old former stars, that a lot of them wouldn't be able to play today. I, I just think that they would be stodgy old white guys that just – but when I think of Mays, he would fit right in. He would fit right in. Fit right in. You he, could put he, him he, right in
1: the center field. And exactly. And problem. he
0: would be as much of a star today as he was in 1954, and you can't say that about everybody. You yeah. know, when I think of like yeah. a Gaylord Perry, I mean, no disrespect to Gaylord Perry, but I think hitters today would really, really feast on your style of pitching. And so, whereas Mays,
1: I mean, I just think that he yeah. would be like, you know, Ronald Acuna Junior. Like a star, he, he was a, he was the star of stars in his era. Correct. He would be a star in this era. There's absolutely no question.
0: So, so in baseball this week, there was something crazy that happened. There was two no hitters thrown. Yeah. There was almost three no hitters thrown. Actually, on the on the on the second pitcher we're going to talk about Miley, there was two dueling no hitters going on. But uh, that the night,
1: game going but, on. But, but start.
0: Here's what I got to tell you: John Means is the starting pitcher on my ba- fantasy baseball team. So this is the sec of the first three no hitters of the season. Two of my pitchers had those no hitters. So. I saw much of John Means' game, or at least it was on in the background. And let me just tell you, this this pitcher is is dominating right now. In, in 2019, they didn't know what to do with him in their organization, and now he is the ace of their pitching staff.
1: Wow. Well, he's an unheralded, you know, prospect. As yeah. Try do. to hit him. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <what I'll say. laughs> but I mean, what? But I've never seen him pitch. I mean, my question yeah. to you: Who the hell is John Means? You yeah. know what I mean? I just, I'm just not. I don't play fantasy baseball. I don't yeah. follow the American League East, much less the Baltimore Orioles. Right. I mean, what is it that makes this guy so good?
0: He's a left-handed um, pitcher that mix mixes his speeds very well, but commands the strike zone and attacks the strike zone. That's the one thing you're starting to see with in the era of of, of pitching. And let's be honest, this is this is this is like 1968 all over again. It's the year of the pitcher. The hitters right. are. This is
1: the worst batting average the major leagues has ever had, ever. <laughs> well, the, the, the game still is compelling. I, I mean, a, yeah, lot of well, people, yeah. Yeah. a lot of people see that and they say that and they panic. And I'm beginning to kind of, well, let's just see what happens. I mean, hey, I like to, no hitters. I like no
0: hitters, don't yeah. you? <laughs> I, I like
1: no hitters. No hitters are fun. And if it means we can see more of them. But so Means throws one on Tuesday and then Wade Miley throws one on Thursday against Correct. the Indians. Yeah, Or, I mean, against the Cleveland baseball team.
0: Against the Cleveland baseball team, correct. But the
1: thing about Miley is he's even less heralded than John Means. I mean, John Means is at least young. Wade Miley is old and ordinary. And how is this guy throwing no-hitters?
0: Well, because he said that his four-year-old son put a temporary tattoo on his forearm of some superhero. And now he's, of course, a baseball superstition. He's going to have a temporary tattoo every time he pitches. Oh my that's god. That's what he said. That's that's <laughs> the crazy a... the crazy world of of pitchers yeah. and goofball yeah. pitchers out there which we're talking about. Do, a, if that's a what you do for a living,
1: If that's what you do for a living then then it's true. That's why it happened because you got that temporary tattoo. <laughs> but, but I mean Wade Miley is a guy who wasn't finishing five or six innings. I mean, yeah. yeah. And well, the crazy.
0: same with Rodon Rod- 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 on the Sox. Yeah. Um was was kind of a, a middling pitcher until he got a baseball
1: philosophy coach yeah. and then has changed for him. everything fell into place, you know? <laughs> well, uh, you know, the, the, the Astros fell into place in Yankee stadium this week. Yeah. This is the first time the Houston Asterix have, have visited Yankee stadium since uh, they were discovered to have been stealing signs all throughout the playoffs in 2017 and then perhaps even after that, much to the detriment of the New York Yankees, because it basically, you know, I I don't think there's any question that Jose Altuve knew that Aroldis Chapman was going to throw a slider on that pitch yep. when he hit that game-winning three-run home run at Yankee right. Stadium. You know what I mean? So so this was a chance for the Yankees fans. We knew we.
0: F- we said this was coming. We yeah. told you this was coming. You never your your penalty was deferred last year, thanks to COVID. But the Yankees have very long memories, and their fans even longer. Or the fans were calling them at one point the Trash tros <laughs> instead of the Astros.
1: That's good. I like of, that. A lot of guys. I, actually, I prefer that to the Asterix, by the way. But go ahead. But but so they dressed up as garbage cans, and
0: and what I'm telling you is, I saw saw a short clip of it. Apparently, it was all night long. They, they just, Good. it was relentless. And Good. God forbid if you wore Astros gear inside the stadium. I oh, mean, okay. you basically needed security to get you out of there.
1: Yeah, that's great. I, I'm sorry, but, you know, yeah, and Dusty yeah, Baker, yeah. once again, you know, he's out there complaining about it, deriding it. And it, it's that's not why, Dusty's fault. He's got to clean up fault. He has nothing to do with it. <laughs> correct, but, correct. But they hire him to defend this team. You know, they hire him because they, they bring him in to diffuse a lot of this anger. And he's the one guy who can bring in to defend it because, number one, he had nothing to do with it. Number two, he's African-American and moderately sympathetic. And, and you know, but he's going to have a tough time dealing with that all year long.
0: Exactly. Because to be honest with you, this will be the most egregious thing to me. It's not going to get worse. Boston will be bad. The Yankees are, are going to be the worst. But you're going to get a little flavor of this everywhere you go that's right and and, and here, guess guess what it'll be a long time before it goes away they're going to be using it against you for a long time but even worse than that you're a despised baseball yeah. team that's you never really a
1: good thing to be <laughs> you're despised by your own fans that's right you're despised by your own fans so so live with that jose altuve live <laughs> right. with that right so um the dodgers though
0: yeah
1: last year's world champions are yeah. They've they've lost 15 of their last 18.
0: I know they're in a free fall. It's it's pretty bad. Um, They're swept
1: by the Cubs. They're losing all over the place, and I'm loving it. I'm it's like uh, these are happy days for me. Yeah, kind of thing that brightens my day. They're basically
0: a 500 team right now, uh, even though their run differential is a plus 33, which is still solid. But they're they're kind of in a free fall. Part of it is due to some injuries that they've had, but. Part of it is the fact that I think every team that plays the Dodgers is acting like they're in the world series against them. Yeah. Uh, and, and so you're going to get, a, you know, people that are really going to be on their best competitive behavior when, when they take when you play them. But that being said, I still think they're, they're still they're my good. favorite to win the world series
1: again. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're too good. They're too deep to not be in the mix. Their pitching is too good. Their relievers are too good. I mean, they, they could not catch a break in the Cubs series, you know, but uh, they'll, they'll be in the mix at the end of the year. Yeah. And, yeah. and if this year has taught us anything is that you, you can recover from any adversity. If you're, if you're, if you're really focused, you can, you know, as bad as things are, as they seem, you yeah. can turn them around. There's still True. time, True.
0: you know,
1: but uh, there's no more time for, for Albert Pujols.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, the, the hall, I soon to be hall of fame, First baseman, third baseman for the uh, Los Angeles Angels. He has been designated for assignment, and um, he's been in steady decline. You know, every year since they acquired him and signed him to a ten-year contract.
0: You know, well, you know, you've been kind of on this this story, I should say, for many years, maybe more than four or five years, where you said basically, you know, the Angels overpaid for him, and that the Cardinals were actually smart in letting him go in the sense that. It, there was no way he was going to earn what he could demand on the open market. Prior to accepting with the angels, he turned down two other ridiculous offers yeah. from yeah. other teams that were willing to basically pay for his age 30 to age 40 services. And, you know, the Cardinals were smart. They said no. And well, they, they said no to
1: the amount that LA, that, that Los Angeles was
0: right. Paying. They would ultimately match it. You're right. Cause the Cardinals actually did make a fair offer to him, but it, it turns yeah. out the Cardinals were the winners. I hate to say it, um, yeah. because if you go and look at at Puholtz's uh, performance, and you can throw Miguel Cabrera in there as well, I think they're yeah. very similar in their declines. But but make no mistake about it, a 0.98 batting average does not warrant playing in the major leagues. And when you have a team like Joe Madden has, which is, you know, you've got guys that can play first base that you need to get in there for so for example at some point Otani needs to be able to to play some some first base um and they've got this young guy Walsh I think is the is their is their starter it's just a sad situation and the reason why it was so kind of clunky the way it was announced by the uh the Angels that day is because Pujols kind of went out kicking and screaming. He was like, no, I'm not gonna because yeah. they want they're like you, you hey, retire. We'll yeah. celebrate you. He's like, no, I'm not gonna do that. And I'm so he's one you. of these, it's yeah. very Muhammad Ali like at the end of his career of a lot of athletes basically don't know when it's time to say when. There was, there's was, there been a, a lot of stuff floated this week that he would reunite with Tony LaRusso. LaRusso put the kibosh on that yesterday because I, I thought working. to myself, there's no way he's going to displace Mercedes, and he's certainly not going to take out Jose Abreu. He can't be on the White Sox. Maybe another team can take him, but I believe it has to be an American League team. That's
1: yeah. what I think. He, he would have no, like a National League team would have no use for him. And, that, and it's sad. And it, I remember. It's sad, it's sad remember.
0: because the, there's one thing that can be said on his plaque at the Hall of Fame. He's the only player with 3,000 hits, 600 home runs, and multiple World Series wins. Only player ever that yeah. ever played the game. I mean, yeah. it, so he's one of baseball's greats, a slam dunk
1: first ballot Hall of Famer. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, in, in an absolute cub killer, I thought we would never beat the Cardinals you know, when he was on their team. And I remember how angry my friends who, who, who live in St. Louis were that he signed with California or Los Angeles. And, and I'm like, you know, that's the way it goes. I mean, you're, you're lucky you don't have to pay that salary, I said, and then every single year afterwards, he just got worse and worse and worse. I mean, he had a kind of an acceptable year His first year in in California. But after that, it just was a slow and steady decline each each year, each season. Except for
0: his home run numbers, which were competitive at times. He was kind of like a Schwarber hitter the last two or three years in the sense that it was
1: either a home run or an out. Um, But, but, but you were right. I mean, rather than say, Hey, I'm retiring because I'm no longer useful or effective. He's like, you know, I think I might as well keep coming to work so I can collect my $25 million a year salary. You know? No, but, but even
0: beyond that, he was going to get paid no matter what. Any other team that picks him up pays 500,000 of that 25 million or whatever it is. It's a fraction of what the angels are on the hook for the full amount of money, except for the league minimum, if he signs, but I I just, they presented it to him and he's like, no way. No way, I'm not agreeing to these terms because I still think I can play. That's the issue. Mm -hmm. It's the fact that there's this cognitive dissonance almost in the sense that what you think you can do and what you actually can do, what's actually happening. Yeah, exactly. And so my point is we've seen this in athletics before, even Michael Jordan to a certain degree had a little of that. But to me, the worst I ever saw was Muhammad Ali. He thought he could fight those last two or three fights. And literally he was, he he was just getting brain damage after brain damage. So,
1: and and you're right though, but this is the same thing with Miguel Cabrera. Doesn't he still have another two years? Yeah, uh, no. This is the
0: final year. This I'm is the, the final year. I, I I think so. I think so. Right. Detroit people or listeners, please correct me. And I know well, you. Well, know. I mean, the Tigers are terrible,
1: Tom. I mean, they're the they're play.
0: the worst. they you can make a case that they're the worst team in baseball. Have they won um, their tenth win? Have they gotten their
1: tenth win yet? No.
0: Uh, yeah, they have. They, they're ten and twenty four. Their run differential is a minus sixty eight. And that's really, really bad. Wow. Uh, So yeah, Detroit's bad. And and part of the reason that they are bad is the fact that Cabby's basically batting, you know, like 198. It's 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 the fact is he needs to go. Will Pool Holtz before we move on, the question is, will Pool Holtz get another major league job? And I say
1: no. I, I I would be inclined to agree with that. And, and, and you're right, though. I mean, even though Cabby is about 150 hits shy of 3,000, I think that he doesn't he, get it. He doesn't get Yeah, yeah, he's not going to get it. So um, there was a great article in The Athletic this week uh, yeah. by Jen McCaffrey. Yeah. And I want to talk about that. And it's about the life of, or the career really of yeah. Dennis Eckersley. And she, she goes and interviews people who played with him. She talks to Eck herself and yeah. she sort of documents his career from the time he breaks in as just a fresh faced rookie. You know, he's in there, he's in their minor league system, I think at uh, 17 years old. Yeah. And which team does he break in with Cleveland uh, Indians, the Indians, that's right. Yeah. He breaks in with the Indians before he's eventually traded to the Red Sox and you know, Which was a
0: shock to him because he really he liked was, the Indians.
1: He liked playing for the Indians. He liked being in Cleveland. But there were all sorts of problems. There were things about Eck I didn't know. You know, yeah. there was another player sleeping with his wife, and that's why he had to be traded because yeah. they couldn't. Uh, you know, and and his marriage had failed, and his yeah. wife was not going to follow him to to Boston. Correct. Correct. Suddenly he's alone. Basically, he knows no one on the team where he was friends with everyone in Cleveland, and this is when you know. He begins to rely on alcohol and drugs and everything like that. and But but people forget. I mean, when he was a starting pitcher and when he was sharp, yep. he was unbelievable. He, 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 was sure, he sure was. And let me tell you something right now. Frank
0: Robinson, who managed Cleveland at the time, loved him. And well, you know why? Because he was like himself. Yeah. Like, Eckersley well, was a madman on the field to the point of, you know, he pissed people off. This yep. like You got to keep in mind, you have to frame this, uh, this part of this time in baseball with the fact that Mark Fitteridge was very similar to Eckersley in the sense that he started doing outlandish things on the mound, but Eck did it first. Eck was, he didn't talk to the baseball, but he was very he much the opposing hitters. He, he was did. an individualist as far as a pitcher and then could back it up yep. by striking you out. The electric and, stuff, yeah. It, and he was arrogant about it, as many pitchers have been, because they know that they can get you out basically with any pitch. Well, he's one of those guys, and uh, when I think of Frank Tanana, where he had this second half of his career. Tanana reinvented himself as a pitcher. He first was a thrower. and a when great he breaks, thrower. Yeah, when he breaks in, Tanana's just really, really hard. A thrower. strikeout pitcher. But the same with Eck- Eckersley was this dominating pitcher that – towards the end of the 1980s he had moved around to many different teams and it wasn't until Dave duncan when he yes. landed on uh, with uh, under with Tony La Russa, um, yeah. that that you know they kind of figured something out with him when, when well they
1: put him in the bullpen and, and he pitched well out of the pen but the idea was that he would always return to the rotation and then there was a, a moment where he won a big game in relief for them and then they went and, and then that offseason they acquired another starting pitcher. And he's like, I know I'm going to the pen, but then he becomes the, the most dominant closer of his era. You know, yeah. he's, he's fantastic for Oakland. He's fantastic for the Cardinals, but he did have that one moment of, of, of sort of shame and ingamy when Kirk Gibson hit that home runoff of him in the 1988 World Series. Yeah, so but you know, know, he says that's one. That's one of the
0: most important moments of his life, and and he's noted for how um, well and composed he was in the post game. That he sit and took everybody's questions every about every
1: single question but, he sat and took, and he said he felt like he needed to do it because he needed to kind of talk it out and get it out of him, and and sort of defeat it as a demon, sort of exercise it. You
0: know? I, I know I've said this before, but when I think of Eck, I think about the fact that when he gave up that home run to Gibson in the fall of 1988 he never gave up another one until like 93 or something like yeah. that it was a long long time as a relief pitcher that's unbelievable you you have to ask yourself you have one ball to give to a relief pitcher are you going to give it to Mariano Rivera are you going to give it to Eckersley it's something you have to really think about something it's not right a in. slam dunk what I'm saying is Eckersley is as good as any reliever that ever played, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so uh, tremendous respect for him. But I think that he came up at that time when the individualism in players was wanted by the fans, despised by the old guard of baseball. The older guys in baseball, not just in age, but in their thinking, were put off by guys like Eckersley. They're, they just, they just were. It's kind of like, to a certain degree, I hate to say it, uh, Trevor Bauer it's the yeah. same kind of thing he
1: faces that same because he's kind of an individual um well and 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 now we're seeing major league baseball sort of encourage that behavior and 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 this is a great sort of transition to our next topic and that's Amir Garrett uh for the Cincinnati Reds who was recently yeah. suspended yeah. for 7 games for an ugly incident where he strikes out Anthony Rizzo in Cincinnati and sort of talks trash to him yeah. And, you know, and, and basically the bench is clear, Baez wants to fight him. And right. this has happened with Garrett before and, and Major League Baseball is saying you are a repeat offender. You need to stop doing this. And they made him go sit in the corner for seven days. And I, I kind of say that he deserves it here. I really do.
0: Again, I, I'm going to just slightly disagree with you. I think it's excessive. I, you know, right. I, I understand what you're trying to say. To because really, what they're saying is we've had it with you. You're right. Yeah, we've
1: had it's, it with you. You you, you started a big fight in Pittsburgh. That's right. We suspended you then, and now you do the same thing in Cincinnati. And, and if when you talk about the hot red asses
0: of the Cincinnati oh, Reds, he, he's right there as yeah, being he's so, the
1: reddest ass of the Cincinnati Reds on a team full of red asses. He is the, 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 the Reds players know that he was out of line. There is no one from Cincinnati who saw that game. Okay. Who, who felt like, Oh, you know, Garrett's just expressing himself. And I'm not being, I I don't want to sound like the angry old man who wants (laughs) players, you know, to kind of keep their heads and keep their cool and be respectful and dignified. In my day, we
0: didn't even use gloves. (laughs)
1: The problem is, is that when you talk about unwritten rules, I think you need to kind of codify what happened here. When, when, when Garrett started barking at Rizzo, he's doing it right to his face. I know. I know. And I, there's a point where he's, he might be saying, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. But to the Cubs, it might've looked like, fuck you. And if that's, if you're going to say F you to the most popular player on your team, you're going to get a reaction.
0: And not just that, and Baez comes up to the plate, and he gets very emotional about stuff like that. Yes. He's like, "You go after my teammates, you're going to have a problem on your hands." And so that there's really two stories. You're absolutely right about Garrett, but it also makes me think of of the fact again, the Cubs are not the most beloved team in the world, and no, they seem, no, they're not. They they're seem not. to be in a lot of these types of skirmishes. But talking, uh, uh, you know, finally about you know these unique pitchers, there was a great article on Zach Granky yeah. um, in, in the athletic. Uh, and and I, I knew that Granky was a little uh, off to a certain degree. I just didn't know how you know who he reminds me of is Joe Side, our good friend Joe Side. Joe yeah. Side is very was very talented in many, many areas, and he'd let you know about it. Granky's yeah. one of those guys that's like that too. You know he, and,
1: and teammates absolutely love playing with him because like, number one, he's really smart. He's really good at what he does, and he's brutally honest yeah, about right. a number of topics. Right. You know, <laughs> when he gets, you know, "You know, Zach, what do you think uh, we should do to make the team better?" Well, the first thing I do is trade you. you <laughs> <know>? <laughs> yeah,
0: there was a couple moments in there where he's just brutally honest. So, yeah, what I love the it. Guy said to him is. Uh, he, he said he, he would go to places
1: that unicorns go to, to hang out and graze. <laughs> but, you know, this is all part of, I think, a series of articles that The yeah. Athletic is kind of doing. You know, Joey Votto was one of them and, and now Granky, And we'll, yeah. we'll we'll hear more about these sort of interesting characters. So Granky
0: is really into physical fitness and eating yes. right. And so there was a time when he was sitting with the, on the Royals with um, uh, Pena, I can't think of his yeah. first name, but, yeah. But, but basically he looks right at Pena. And he goes, you know what? You eat too much ice cream. Yeah. The problem and, with, you know what the problem with you is in front of everybody in yeah, front of, in yeah. front of the whole team. And so after that, whenever Pena would go to a new town,
1: yeah, a Greinke
0: would have the finest ice cream ready for him in those yeah. towns. So whatever,
1: whatever town it was, whatever ice cream it was for that town that was the best, he always made sure he had it. So exactly. he's like, a, he's loved as a teammate. Yeah. And that was really cool.
0: He, he, but he's brutally honest. You know, there's, I forget, there was one scenario where he hit a guy um, because he basically, and, and the guy went up to, the hitter went up and said, why did you do that? You All you had to do was to try to pitch me. He's like, he goes, I need to, I need to, I had to do that. I needed those pitches for the next hitter.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't have time to waste, you know, having you foul off all my pitches. I only exactly. have so many exactly. I'm going to throw. I need to save them. So I guess I, I just said, that. Yeah. Well, brutally <laughs> honest guy, man. Yeah, you're gonna So, but uh, let's move on now to the Chicago Cubs, and um, let's talk about. And I will say one thing about this team; they are resilient. I mean, last week we were talking about the five game losing streak and how they're gonna to have to trade off all their assets, and how no one can do this and no one can do that. Well, they just swept the World Championship dot the World Champion Dodgers, and they've yeah. won five in a row. Yeah. And suddenly, life has been breathed back into my baseball
0: world. And in an impre- impressive fashion, too, particularly in the first game against Kershaw, because Kershaw was going to set the tone of that series. Yes. Kershaw goes out to the mound, and the Cubs almost like batted around on him. I mean, they just, they hit the living crap out of Kershaw. You know, that happens to pitchers, particularly at this time of year. They just make well, it up. It, a it dead hadn't
1: arm. happened to Kershaw. No, you know. right.
0: Exactly. It's the shortest outing of his career, of his entire and, career, which is saying something right there. But you know, I, and then it kind of went on from there, including a thrilling, the the final game, the three was so good. Oh my God. Great great baseball game. game. And so, yeah, you, you start to think that, you know, the Cubs might have something, even though I still think if you break down the issues of the Cubs, while they've improved from a hitting standpoint, they've gotten worse from a pitching standpoint, they have, They, they have like the sixth worst team ERA in baseball. And so, They're going to be in a lot of high scoring games. Who knows? I still think they're closer to the bottom than to the top. And I also think that look out for the Cardinals because they're starting. You know, if if you look in that division, Milwaukee's completely underperformed, and the Cardinals are slowly, the last 30 games, they're up at the top four or five teams. Last 20 games and the last are up in the top four or five teams. And they've dropped a little bit in the last 10 games. But still, what I'm saying is the Cardinals are kind of moving towards the top. The Cubs are overperforming, as as my
1: take on it. Wow. Wow. Yep. You were so much more it. pessimistic. I don't I, know. I, I mean, it's interesting how they just are using every bit of the roster to get these wins. You guys like Matt Duffy and then Jason Hayward, who isn't hitting, but... But then he's running the bases really well. They're stealing bases. They're yeah. scoring on singles. They're scoring on short sacrifice flies. I mean, they're just hustling, and they're playing a brand of baseball that, frankly, I just adore. You know, so so,
0: so uh, you know, you mentioned Jason Hayward. You know, he's the Albert Pujols of the he club. Is. Uh, but but at
1: least Hayward. You know what though, Mister Albatross. I call him yeah. Mister Albatross. <laughs> you know, he crushed a line drive yesterday yeah. that went for an unlucky out. But then he also reached on a walk, stole a base, scored a run. You know, he, he's doing things that are you know helping what, the team what like they this. say about a player like this?
0: He's a great teammate. That's, what they, re- that's the way they kind of sum up a guy like this. Well, that's not, that's a, not necessarily a compliment.
1: I, I know, but sometimes you need somebody to 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 give an example of how to go through it. No, no doubt about that, and no
0: one does that better. And they said that his rant in the rain delay in the, the 2016 World Series is, is what inspired you know, the team to win. Is, it was a Newt Rockney like performance. Yeah, um, yeah, but you but, know, you know, you you make the case. Did the, the the Garrett incident in Cincinnati where we just talked about, where he you know he had that little episode where he started kind of getting very animated with the Cubs hitter. Did that serve to kind of rally the Cubs around that and bring them kind of together as a team? It might have been because they beat the crap out of the Dodgers, in my opinion. They really whether, did. They whether really that's did. an aberration or not, you beat the best team on on the planet, in my mind, even though statistically they're not right now.
1: But um, that's also the way baseball is. I mean, you there are these moments where it's you're up and you're high and, and nothing can go wrong. And then you go through periods where – nothing could go right. And I think you're right that this team will probably, I I think this team will be around 500 most of the year. This is where they're going to live in that division, whether it's good enough for a playoff spot, we'll see. Yeah, but, uh, I'm going uh, to say no.
0: Um, and, you know, you the last game of something interesting happened in the last game of the Dodgers, which I did see, where yeah. new announcer Boog Shiambi, which, by the way, whenever I hear Boog Shiambi, it takes me back to 92 when I went to this very second game at Camden Yards. Oh. And Boog Powell had a barbecue rib joint out in left field. And Boog Powell served me ribs. So, whenever I think of Boog Shambi, I, I always you're, say Boog Powell yeah, sure served me ribs, or served me ribs, I should say. And so, but Shambi did what a lot of people do, which I've done myself, is see a
1: ball that's hit that where you're like, well, that ball is go. Oh, damn over. Harry right?
0: Carey used to do that yeah. quite
1: frequently, actually. No, it was hilarious because the Cubs, I think, were down a run and it was the ninth inning and there was a runner on third. With uh, they were down a run and all they needed was two and I forgot pre- oh I'm I'm sorry I don't remember the hitter Rizzo it was- Rizzo was it Rizzo yeah oh yeah Rizzo no, it was Rizzo okay so Rizzo just crushes a ball but the wind is blowing in Shambi goes crazy he thinks yeah. it's going to be on the street. <laughs> but it's caught at the warning track for a sacrifice fly. Yeah. And he's more than a little embarrassed. I, I, re- I remember Harry Carey one time So it's a long fly ball way back, and Dunstan catches it on the grass. I was
0: <laughs> yes, <exactly>. like,
1: what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but, uh, but it, it happens. And I thought that that was brilliant. And he was gracious enough to, to sort of make fun of himself. But, but there's hey, also been
0: – Speaking of announcers, I guess, yeah, before
1: right. we move on to the Sox, Rick Sutcliffe, man, what's going on with this guy? He's been in the booth, not in the booth, or they have him kind of knocking in like they had Mark Grace do and Brian Dempster do last year. Well, the thing about Sutcliffe is I think he's great. I love him. Uh, I love his analysis. I think he's spot on, has some great stories. He knows about the game. He's very intelligent about what's happening on the field. I I love it. Well, he wasn't enough. He was a base, I think, a radio or a
0: TV guy for years and years and years. So I I expect him to be good. But you're right. He is delivering. You know me. I'm not. It's almost like Sutcliffe is playing this role where he's like, hey, guys, I was just in the neighborhood. I thought (laughs) I'd stop in and say (laughs) hello. You know, like
1: he's over in. uh, you know, can <laughs> I get you something? Well, uh, and there was also, and we, I, I also want to mention too, that yesterday, did you hear Carrie Moan in the booth replacing John Shamby who had gone, he is on assignment, I think for ESPN. So Carrie Moan, the first time I, I, I have ever heard a woman right. in the uh, do play-by-play for the Cubs. Okay. And that so, was refreshing. So I didn't get to hear
0: it. Uh, Because I had a family engagement all day yesterday. Uh, I didn't get to hear it, but my brother texted me, who is this woman announcer in the Cubs booth? I'm like, oh yeah, it's Beth Mowen. I've said before, you're going to love her or hate her. She can be very annoying and grating. And my brother's like, get her out of
1: there. Get her out of there. I loved it. I loved it. I I think it's great. (laughs) Jim Deshays was really great with her. You know, they had a good time. And I think more of this, uh, I would not mind seeing. Oh. You know, I think the marquee network can, can kind of. Hey, I have no problem
0: with fe- female announcers at all. It's yes. just her voice is kind of grating to me, but that's just me. I,
1: I did notice there was, th- there is something I noticed that uh, that she was doing a call the Cubs had scored a run and she was, and her voice, the tenor of her voice was really almost the same as that of the crowd. So it blends in very. And so you, you don't hear her, as you hear the noise of the crowd. So somebody maybe with a deeper voice provides kind of an undertone and you can hear them better. I don't know. It's a minor thing, but I enjoyed listening to her. So So. we
0: we have much to cover here with the Sox who are ascending.
1: And before you start,
0: I just want you to know that the Sox uh, wake up today with a run differential of plus 47. Yeah. Um, That that is, that's the best in baseball yeah so so with that I'll let you kick off the White Sox
1: well we'll begin with uh the devastating injury to uh center fielder Luis Robert in his rookie year and this is a guy although he hadn't been performing yet this was a guy the White Sox were really counting on you know to kind of carry them through the season and this is their start of the future they signed him to a deal they tore up all his rookie deals and they gave him kind of they paid him and uh and what is it a hip flexor a grade three tear of the hip flexor he's not going to need surgery which is a good thing but he won't see the field for at least three four months i mean is that correct he he was um
0: he was a starting outfielder on my fantasy baseball team i cut him
1: immediately when i heard that news i I dfa'd him
0: dfa'd him
1: you dfa'd him and just (laughs) say Maybe I can draft him next year. Yeah, exactly.
0: Know. Write it off. Oh, but, uh, yeah, you know, the Sox have been beset with with injuries, maybe too many. I still think, as you could see by my discussion on the uh, run differential, that they're a formidable offense. And they have other hitters that have been kind of picking up the slack, like Moncada, who got off to a slow start, and he's been hitting much better. Well, they
1: they absolutely need now Moncada and Abreu and Anderson. Correct. The well,
0: you know, Anderson's the straw that stirs the drink. I, he, he has to bat over 300. And if he does, they're going to score a lot of runs. If and he's so, on
1: base, you're right. If he's on base, they'll have a functioning offense. And, <clears throat> excuse me, when you think about their pitching staff, that should be enough to win this division. I mean, when you look at how kind of upside down it is, yes. Cleveland's being competitive, but they don't have enough offense. They've been no
0: hit twice this year. Yeah,
1: they really, you know, and, and then. And then you look at you know the twins who should be in first place were absolutely awful. See, so, I,
0: I think the White Sox should be in first place. And I think I'll I'll uh, and I because I thought at the beginning of the season, remember they've done everything that they've done without Giolito dominating. Once yeah. Giolito kind of kicks in as the as the thoroughbred uh, uh starter that he is, I think that they're gonna get the added boost. But I think that one thing has kind of hurt them might be their decrepit. Old manager Tony LaRusso. I well, hate to say it because he, but he's just made some bonehead moves that I think have in, have been injurious to the socks.
1: One one hesitates to say, I told you so, but uh, you did. You did. You, well, <laughs> we both kind of said we both did. We, we were made all fun of the same of mind you. on this. Yeah, we're like, this is not a good move. I, I. And and I think if you look at the baseball stuff, he's made some egregious decisions. Yes, like yes. there was the one in Cincinnati that was really, really bad where they were they're losing one and nothing. And they get a runner, they get a runner on, and then LaRussa does a double switch. Yep. And yep. then the, the hitter who had made the last out, now his spot in the lineup was occupied by Liam Hendricks, the pitcher. The pitcher, the closer, pitcher. the closer. And and LaRussa sent him out to second base to begin the tenth inning. Right, right. When right. he didn't have to. Exactly and and that's a problem and, and and you know La Russa has to kind of own this he has to kind of say hey this was my fault i didn't know how to do this but honestly this is an organizational failure yeah. that there was not one coach in that organization who was aware that he did not have to send his relief pitcher out there well that that wasn't his first mistake of the season so no he, it wasn't his first mistake of the season he he that's
0: let, let Giolito pitch like 130 pitches uh, one day where they, he obviously had nothing left and he didn't protect that picture at all. And he, he admitted that he had made a mistake. He said, he, which is great. He's owning his mistakes, but it doesn't take away from the fact that he's been out of the game for 10 years. And if I was out of the game for 10 years, maybe one of the first things I would do would be read the rule changes yeah, that yeah, have occurred had, in the last I 10 years any rule changes? or, or have someone debrief me on the various ones uh, so that I'm at least you know, from a periphery uh, aware of these things going on, he did not do that. You couple that with the fact that he has a seventy-eight-year-old brain, um, a se- and, and Grant—he was an attorney. He was a fine baseball mind. He's in the flipping Hall of Fame. But Tony, this was not a good decision. Just like some of your late-night driving, this was not a it's
1: good not decision. A good decision for for Reinstorf to make, and and I even think, or for, that, even you know, for Larusa to make too. It, t- it takes two to tango but, but, but it's interesting too, how like uh, the Latin American players, the Cubans kind of came to his defense, yeah. you know, uh, Jose Abreu right. comes out and says, we're behind this man, you know, I mean, and Abreu is doing exactly the right thing and he's being a team player and that's the kind of guy he is, you know, and, and he liked the way that La Russa ran spring training and things like that. So there, there, there have been some good things, you know, but uh, but I just think that what's probably going to have to happen is, is Jerry Reinsdorf's going to have to bring Ken Harrelson back to fire
0: him. The <laughs> <fireman> <laughs> yeah. so, but, well, uh, they're playing so well right now, there ain't nothing's going to happen to Tony LaRu- LaRusso. Well, like, they're they're on right fire there. right now, but it it would, I, all I would say is hopefully you do not cost the team any more losses um, which they're starting to put together like a win above replacement for managers. And I'm telling you right now, LaRusso would be a minus this year. Yeah. This, this might be
1: the worst year for any manager, but what is funny is that he gets all the credit. He gets all the blame for anything that goes wrong and he gets none of the credit when things go right. You know, they say yeah. he's zero and five as a manager. Well, I mean, did he have, did he have anything to do with last night's win in Kansas city? Right. You know what right, I mean? Right. So well, they, you they have one kind of, you know, and I and I think the White Sox eventually will show they'll win or lose this, and it won't be Larusa's fault. You know.
0: Well, let's hope not. I mean, they're five games over five hundred now, and most you know observers would say they could easily be ten games over five hundred. So, you know, at some point, Larusa either has to. Well, I think he needs to get out of the way of it. That's what I think, and maybe have competent coaches around him that can. Uh, You know that that can intercede, and I'm being deadly serious. When when if he's
1: about to do something, you know, uh, you know you know why you know why this is bad though. Honestly, the worst part about it's not the decisions; it's not his lack of a connection to the modern game. It's the post game press conferences. Yeah, looks and sounds awful.
0: Well, it's a long day for the old man. By the time they get to the press conference,
1: he's put in a full day. I get that. I, I kind of feel that way too. But that's but but ultimately, I mean, don't you think that 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 he needs to kind of accept that it's a younger man's responsibility? You know, you know, I don't know what's going on inside of his mind, whether he's
0: whether he is um enlightened enough to go, hey, maybe this wasn't the smartest choice that I've made here. And he realizes that it he's in over his head because. Part of the responsibility of the modern manager, as as Joe Madden has so eloquently shown us, is that it is important that you are able to communicate after games, and that you're level-headed, and you're not a hot head, and yeah. all those kind of things. And Madden Madden was Madden one of did the best, better than anybody I've ever seen, except uh, for Sparky Anderson. Sparky uh, was Sparky would blow smoke up sports writers' uh, yeah. skirts better than anyone I've ever seen but Madden was right there with him. There's been some good, there's been some good ones over the years. All I'm saying is you're right. By the time the game is over and La Russa must begin this important third, the final chapter of that game's day. He's, he's not, he's, he's out of gas. Oh, he's, he's done. He's out of which I get it. And I, I feel bad for the guy, but, yeah, but, but, but I'm very optimistic and remain optimistic about the Sox. And I think, Look out if, if if you know, with Cease pitching well, with Giolito even not hitting his form, and you've got Rodon. What's the deal with,
1: with uh, Rod- Rodon? Rodon is – This is a guy who had to earn the fifth spot in the rotation. He had to yeah. go out and earn that in spring training. And his whip, his walks to hit stadiums pitch is .640. That's unbelievable. Oh, that is. He has a no-hitter. He's the best pitcher on their
0: staff. Right. I know that's saying something, because, again, they have a thoroughbred starter who hasn't hit stride yet. So that's why I think the Sox uh, and they have a tremendous uh, back end of their bullpen, I think, right now, even though you can't be using Hendricks as a runner
1: anymore. No, you can't use it. Just as long (laughs) as they don't use Hendricks to run the bases. But here's I'm going to be a little less optimistic about the White Sox because. Look at what it is that's kind of driving them. I mean, initially, it was Jermaine Mercedes, right. who's an add-on. He, yeah. This guy goes out and is eight for his first eight at-bats. You know, he's, he's hitting well over 300 now still. He's kind of cooled yeah. off. But right. he's been really good, and that was completely unexpected. Also, the success of Rodan, again, completely unexpected. All right, well, it's now time to open the bag of popcorn you boys can get on out of here i don't want to have no more to do with you i've been around that trashy behavior all my life i'm getting tired of putting up with it
0: oh quit prison i don't think you did it right anyway
1: so the movie we chose this week was actually tom selected it and it is the last picture show from 1971 directed by peter bogdanovich and uh, i just saw it actually last night But I want you, Tom, to kind of explain to everybody why you chose this movie and what it is you think is great about it. Yeah,
0: so I also watched it last night. I've seen it many times now, probably four or five times. The story is about this town, this fictional town in Texas in 1951 um, called uh, Amarine, And um, this town uh, has a uh, group of high school kids um, in a, in a town, and the, the reason why it's called the last picture show is because it's a dying town, yeah. and it's dying. And the and the, la- the, the cinema uh, uh, in town is being shut down. The cinema house is being shut down because everyone's watching television these days. And so the this is a story of of these a couple of high school kids as they are in their senior year of high school and their exploits. To me, this has always been a story about loneliness. The human condition and loneliness. I was drawn to this picture because of the Citizen Kane aspect but mostly because this is one hell of a story and the metaphor of the of the last picture show for this dying you know southern Texas town where maybe the biggest activity in town is a tumbleweed going across the street in the in the dust that's flying around. Um, I just thought it was a great story. There's a character in there called Sam the Lion who owns Basically, most of the businesses, including the uh, the, fil- the 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 uh, movie uh, theater, um, but he also owns the pool hall. And these young high school kids kind of idolized this guy, um, right. who never left the town. And 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 Sam maybe regretted that he never left the town. And the, and it's just this this story is just magnificent. It gets better with uh, different viewings because you get to see some of the nuances. Um, it's one of the very few times that both, uh, the supporting actress and supporting actor went to, uh, people that were in this film. Um, I love this movie. Hopefully you did too.
1: I, I, I was all over this movie, Tom. I just came back from Texas and, you know, it, it just completely reminded me, uh, this film, the way it was filmed, the way he would do the slow pans from side to side. Yep, Exactly. It was uh, all horizontal. Yeah, yes, exactly. And you see how flat, you know, the terrain is, and how things just, it's the wind blowing things by, and you you just get the sense that there's nothing beyond whatever these small buildings are at the sort of crossroads that makes up this town, there's nothing beyond it, and, and you sort of struggle to wonder what the movie is about, but you're so sort of, you, you enjoy seeing some of these actors who really, whose careers were made by this movie, you know, yeah. Sybil Shepard, could trace her career back to this role that she had as the young JC, you know, and then Cloris Leachman who'd worked in Hollywood for quite some time and she wasn't a star, you know, just absolutely hit it out of the ballpark. as The wife of the coach of the football coach who has a sexual relationship with one of the boys. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. I think that for the first time, you know, in movies, Bogdanovich is able to portray women enjoying sex, the experience of sex and women kind of having some control. We see women nude, you know, and we see women enjoying the act. And I thought that was really significant. Yeah. Yeah. and Again,
0: it just kind of underscored to me, though, there was just a level of desperation in all of the characters. And yet I felt like they all had some strong sense of loneliness. To yeah. what to what was their motivating factor but you're right when you're in a town and, and ebert kind of points this out in one of his reviews i read both of his original review and his great movies review the two different ones i recommend doing that and basically you know he he he, he thinks that the the uh, uh the characters are basically um or the or the the idea that this film uh uh, movie theater is closing is is a metaphor for 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 their lives that they don't really have anything better to do except to have extramarital affairs and you know there's nothing else to do in town I guess is what I'm trying to say.
1: Well, and it's interesting. Everybody has a dream, a dream of leaving, a dream of what mm-hmm. might have been, a dream but they. But no one has anybody to share the same dream. Right. You know what I mean, and I mean it's obvious that the boy uh, Billy should be with the forty year old. Wife of the coach, Cloris Leachman, that she right. really loves him.
0: Right, really
1: loves her. It's right. the healthiest relationship in the movie. It's you completely
0: know? illegal uh, yeah. to do, yeah. and today she would go to prison. But yeah. but back then, that was you know it wasn't as much uh, policed as it is today. It was we
1: weren't as woke as we are. Uh, today the whole about town stuff like knew that. about the affair too and that's yeah. what well, man,
0: well, every small town everybody knows everything about what everybody does that's why yeah. i thought that was risky because if she had a hot head husband you might you know you might get a uh
1: you might get a bullet
0: to your head but, uh,
1: yeah yeah but this was a, a tremendous film tom and 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 i you know i i really enjoyed thank you for pointing this out to me and and when you find a director like bogdanovich okay yeah. who is aware of the great directors. And uh, he he really makes a movie that, that shows the craft of filmmaking, that light and black and white and images matter. Yeah. They matter, Tom. Yeah, and well,
0: the actor- shadows, the shadows of black and white. That's why I'm such a huge fan of noir. It's my favorite film genre. But one of the things that Bogdanovich did that I thought was great was that he hired actors that were basically the same age. As as the characters, they weren't like today, it'd probably be 25 year old guys playing these 18 year old guys. These guys were like 19 and 18 years old when when they filmed it. So that I thought was very, very smart. Um, Remember, most of these actors, including Timothy Bottoms, who was the star of the film, um, you know, he, he was a young kid, but he was not known at all. Let's, let's put these actors on the map, I guess is what I'm
1: trying to say. It really did. And we would see all of these actors in the movies for years. Yeah, Randy like, Quaid. Uh, Randy Quaid. Randy Quaid is a pup in this movie. Exactly. And one guy, I forget his name, but he's, he's I guess, Billy's father. And he's at the football game holding the yardage marker. Yes, that's right. And that guy has been like a minor character. Yeah, correct. doesn't.
0: Correct. You know, you can right.
1: think of. Well, so it really does make their career that that a lot of these guys could just show up at an audition and say, "Oh, you were in the last picture show." Well, we want that guy. You know what I mean? It brings your movie just a little bit of cachet. I, I, I we we we
0: can't stop talking about this without mentioning Ben Johnson, who played yeah. um the the uh, what do you call it the the lion the lion uh, yeah yeah Sam the lion or whatever his Sam name was the lion. Uh, wow. Uh, he won. He won Best Supporting Actor. This was the highlight of his career. This was a guy that was in a lot of films in the fifties with John Wayne. Yes. And so, in yes, fact, yeah. in fact, there is a film that's being shown in the theater in the last pic, in the last picture theater um, that he's in. He's, he's in, in the exactly, film exactly. And, exactly. And, and he's the only actor ever to win an Oscar and a rodeo competition. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That yeah. ever lived.
0: <laughs> so that, yeah. Ben Johnson was the real deal, well
1: deserved, kind of the heart and soul of the film. Um, and, well, that, uh, you, know, that, you know, because the, the whole movie, the camera always pans left to right, except when he's talking about the correct. time. It's know? a close up. And he does the close-up. exactly. The only time in the movie, the camera moves forward. I'm so
0: glad you noticed that because I too noticed that too. That's an Orson Wellian thing, by the yeah, way. Yeah. And you was- see that in Citizen Kane a few times. But, and- but Eber, Eber talks about this one scene when they're at the, at, at the bank, the, the, this little creek where they try yeah. to fish and the only thing that's in it is turtles. And basically, Sam the Lion, the character says, I don't even like fish. I don't like cleaning them. I don't like anything about them. He goes, "But I just like being out here, you know. I like I like the idea of being out there." And basically Ebert thought, "Hey, that's the that's the uh, homage to Citizen Kane when Bernstein says, uh, "I met this girl on this train, you know, 30 years ago. Not a day has gone by that I haven't thought about that girl on that train." And that was, you know, basically Sam the Lion talking about this con- this female that turned out to be well, the well, Ellen Bernstein.
1: mother of Je- who's a uh, Civil Shepherd's mother." I mean.
0: <laughs> right. Wow. Yeah, it was just a, a very, very uh, a great film. Interesting side note is that Jimmy Stewart was supposed to be Sam the Lion. But he was. could not, yeah, I know. He yeah. could not get any, and it really bothered him too, by the way. <laughs> but he could not get out of a commitment that he was in to, to film around the filming schedule. So, he, so they had to go with Ben Johnson, who was, think about it, today would a Ben Johnson even be allowed
1: to be in a film? I mean, you know. Well, that's the thing. It, it takes courage on the part of a director to cast people who really are right for the part. Right. Not, right. You know, because it's going to do their career good. You know, right. he, he needs to be in a vehicle. You know, that's the problem with Hollywood. Yeah. You know, is that everybody's just trying to put people in vehicles and get people paid and to make money and to sign contracts. But you forget that at the heart of it, the goal should be about making great art. And yeah, that's yeah. what he did here. That's
0: he, what he, did here. he really did. And also special kudos to the recently uh, departed Cloris Leachman. She was yes. fantastic in this film.
1: And, <laughs> and by the
0: way, she was 43 when this film was, was shot. Beautiful woman. Beautiful. Be- beautiful
1: woman. Yeah. But she'd been working in Hollywood for 20 years. Right. You know? Right. And uh, so, yeah, I was really blown away by this, man. Thanks for picking this. I- so what's our film for next week? We're going to go back in time, and we're going to see a Mel Brooks comedy, and that movie is *The Producers*. Great choice. So, until next week, we are the two peas in a podcast.
0: I'll bang
1: the drums slowly and play the five note, play the dead march as they carry me along. Put bunches of roses.
0: All over my coffee Roses to deaden the clouds as they fall